Welcome to Our Soul, a podcast by Kelly Fox and Terry Williams from the Ohio Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. So, what happened in Texas? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, <gasps> it's it's both it's both uh, crazy and and not uh, at all. Unproductive, not at all. Yeah. Right. Like we've, we've been, been preparing for it, but it still sucks. Yeah. Um, so for those of you who, for some reason, have not heard, um, in Texas, there has been a law that is now enacted, um, where abortion is banned after six weeks, um, which is before most people know that they're pregnant. And people in Texas can report those who help people post six weeks get an abortion um and sue them for ten thousand dollars something like that so the ten thousand dollars is actually a bounty because Mm. it's not part of the suit per se Mm. individuals are enabled in terms of a private right of action to sue individuals who at 43 days or later ended a pregnancy They can also sue anyone who, and I quote, aided or abetted, end quote, that individual. So this is all criminal language, right, Mm -hmm. about abortion. Aiding and abetting is is criminal language, but it's applied in a civil suit. So anybody who aids and abets a person having an abortion, that could be the doctor who performs the procedure that could be the nurse or um, attending uh, physicians who help with the procedure. That could be the Uber driver, the Lyft driver who um, take the person to their procedure. By the way, Uber and Lyft have both issued statements about this and their possible involvement. Um, it could mean clergy people who advise individuals. So, like, I have clergy colleagues in Texas who right now are covered under this could be aiding and abetting an abortion. All of those people, including the patient, can individually be sued as a civil action. And if the person prevails against their neighbor who they're suing, they get $10,000 from the state. Which sends up all kinds of questions for me. Like, first off, the Supreme Court by a vote of five to four did not intervene with an injunction so that's how this law was able to um you know stay in effect and you know first of september it was enacted um supreme court came out a day later and said you know what we're not going to intervene in this and the reason they're not going to intervene is because the supreme court five person majority was basically confused about well, this doesn't really match anything we've seen before, so we're just going to kind of let it go. Um, for me, what is so frustrating out of this, among among many things, is the fact that you now have a bounty system where the state's going to pay out $10,000 for every person you can find who was connected to an abortion after 43 days. And this is the same state who finds it almost impossible to fund things like universal child care and anything to do with infant mortality and, you know, amending uh, their social contract to be able to help infants live longer, anything to do with maternal support, like 
all of these things are too expensive for the state of Texas, Wait. but they're going to start handing out $10,000 bounties all over the place. Didn't Texas literally have their whole, like, electricity infrastructure, like, shut down earlier this mm. year? And they're going to suddenly have the funds to... Now you're now you're preaching because they wanted to save a lot of money on ERCOT and the deregulation scheme down there, so they didn't want to put money into winterizing their own uh, fuel oil pipes. Don't have money to winterize your fuel oil pipes, but you got ten thousand dollars to just start handing out all over the place to everybody and their sisters, mothers, uncles, brothers, Uber driver mm-hmm. who happens to participate in helping a person end a pregnancy. And I I try not to be as rageful. As I am right now, but it's 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 just gonna happen because for forty eight and a half years, a woman, a femme, a person with a womb in Texas, who was seven weeks pregnant and who didn't want to be pregnant, could get an abortion. And this week is the first week in forty eight and a half years that that has not been true because Roe Roe v Wade gave at least that right in law to folk out of Texas. Mm-hmm. It was it was a suit brought out of Texas. So we're back we're back to the beginning of a lot of this dialogue and conversation around what rights should folk have and it's happening in Texas. Mm-hmm. But the reality is this is a conversation that isn't just Texas. It's it's everywhere, right? We yeah. we see people in Ohio. We have our own 6-week ban in Ohio. They just weren't creative enough to slide it by in a 5-4 Supreme Court decision to get it enacted, right? They weren't as slick as folk in Texas were. They're looking to be as slick, though. And every other state that has people who hate freedom and hate people who have abortions are looking to do the same thing. Yes. So here we are. Um, I know I sound far more uh, not upset than Terry, but truly, that is not the case. I am very upset, but it's more that I'm upset at what the reaction is now, and I'm not, it's not that I'm not upset that this is happening, because I am. It's that it was far too expected, and that we have been warned, and in the last week I've seen a lot of, um, people coming out of Texas talking about how, you know, black women have been warning people for a long time. And even just Mm -hmm. the repro orgs in Texas have been begging for news um, sources to, you know, report on this because, you know, if you are not a repro person, you may not have known about this until literally last week. Um, And that is a shame. And uh, I'm, I'm less like, outraged and emotional at this point um and more uh uh it's i'm disappointed i'm disappointed but not surprised i feel like i've used that phrase a few times on this podcast i I feel like disappointed but not surprised is like all of repro for Mm -hmm. perhaps the foreseeable future given the the electoral morass that we're trapped in because the reality is we have we have political systems in our nation where some politicians who financially are beholden to large corporations and ethically want to subjugate the masses of working people over and against the small 
wealthy oligarchs who who want to run the entire country those people know that they cannot run and get elected to represent the oligarchs so they utilize things like abortion as wedge issues to drive people to vote for them so that they can enact their real agenda which is an anti-union pro-business at all costs uh, you know handing out tax breaks to the wealthy like candy field day and they know that they use these wedge issues without any care or concern for the actual people who are involved and and they they claim to care for these people but they don't really they're using those issues to gain power so that they can be economically dominant i feel like for the foreseeable future like disappointed but not surprised is where we are because mm-hmm. The reality is, folk have been telling us about this for a long, long while. Like, the only people who were really surprised about this were the folk who have had their head in the sand and haven't really been with the program and listening to particularly black women, Mm -hmm. but also, you know, Latinx folk, indigenous people, trans folk who have abortions like mm-hmm. all of these people have been telling us for decades listen we do not have these rights like you got roe v wade and roe v wade meant that the legal barriers were lessened but the access to abortion has still been severely restricted mostly for people who aren't white and now we sit here seeing attacks that come into the citadel of white privilege that even white people are now being affected by these bans. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's a big issue. Well, the reality is now we're essentially equalizing the playing field in Texas where mm-hmm. the reality of abortion access for people who are non-white is now matching the legality of abortion access for people who are white. Yeah, And I'm glad people are finally waking up and, like, figuring out this is a problem. I'm also just racially mad that we have we have let it go this far and it took this long mm-hmm. for people to finally figure it out. And it's it's also, uh, speaking of, like, you know, that, that leveling or whatever, um, I've seen a lot of people talk about this as, like, the Handmaid's Tale or whatever. Ooh. And there are several reasons why Ooh. that's not... That is, uh, you know, really tone deaf to to say, um, because it like it it suddenly is the Handmaid's Tale now that you know white people are affected. But um, you know, we were Terry and I have if you if you couldn't tell Terry and I are in the same room right now, um, and so we have been uh, together as a team today and uh, kind of talking about this and. Uh, earlier we were talking about how there are people in Texas whose access to abortion was uh, no uh, no freer than on uh, August 30th than it was on September 1st you know it was mm-hmm. just as bad then and you know we've been talking about how access to abortion is just as um, important as the legality of abortion but uh, you know if if white people have listened to people of color and indigenous people for all this time, then they would have known, like, you know, when, when these, all these marginalized groups have already been affected, like you're next. Absolutely. Um, and, and I just think it's, it's shameful that, uh, black women and, uh, 
femmes and trans people and uh, people of color and indigenous indigenous people <laughs> have not been listened to for all this time. And now suddenly that is white women's problems, specifically white women's problems. Um, then it's suddenly a problem, you know, it's, yeah. it's been this bad the whole time. <laughs> and, I, and I think it's really important for, for me as a pastor, as a, as a white pastor, um, I have a lot of folk who resonate very deeply with the story of The Handmaid's Tale. Like, that has touched a vein inside white liberal Protestantism that is pretty profound. The struggle, though, is part of the reason that it struck that chord is because people were able to turn on the television and see these characters, you know, out of Margaret Atwood's imagination who look like us as white people, as, you know, white middle class and upper class people, we were able to look and see those white people experiencing these horrible things. And all of a sudden, the empathy connected so deeply. The mm -hmm. problem, though, with that is there's nothing in Margaret Atwood's fiction that happens to her white character, her white central character. There's nothing that happens to June Osborne that hasn't already happened to black folk and to latinx folk and to indigenous people the world around mm -hmm. literally white folk are in a place where we are so steeped in our white privilege that it's easier for us to empathize with fictional characters than it is for us to empathize with real live flesh and blood people who don't have the same skin color as we do or who don't have the same nationality as we do and and also um another thing about you know this this whole situation is this again like white saviorism but now it's around your own problem you know and this assumption that even though black women um indigenous women uh people of color people of all genders um have been warning for so long about access issues and about the attacks on abortion as if they wouldn't also have a plan on what you would do right. like the the assumption that we need I've, I've seen you know the the underground railroad which is also oh. very tone deaf and um and this like anti-network uh thing coming out of uh white women groups like there are already abortion funds <laughs> there are already black and uh people of color uh working for uh, getting people abortion access like there is already a backup there is already like a an underground it just it's not underground and, well, it doesn't and, need to. and it's it's not even a backup it's already happening like ah it's everybody's already, like we have to create the system it's in already there access isn't available and it's like how do you think black folk have been having abortions in like southwest southeast ohio mm -hmm. right like middle of nowhere ohio where I, I say middle of nowhere because I live there and I know, right? Like <laughs> Chillicothe, Ohio, black folk in Chillicothe, Ohio who need an abortion already have a network set up to help them get access to transportation, to funding, to additional resources to help with their job, like all the things that they have to do to even get access because access is not truly free. Mm -hmm. They do not have accessible abortion care 
mm-hmm. their community, they have to go two and three and sometimes five hours away mm-hmm. to access that care. We already have developed systems. So all these people who are just now figuring out this is a problem have also decided they're just now going to figure out there's a solution, except we've already known the problem and, and we're already have working on the solution. Yeah. You're just late to the party. Congratulations. Thanks so much for coming. But you don't have to bring your own drinks they're already here, right? <laughs> like, I feel like the guy who's standing behind a bar and people are like, we should get drinks. We're here. It's like, like hello. Yeah. Yeah. I'm here for a reason. Women have options. Ohio, our statewide abortion fund, plug them all day long. They have been doing the work for abortion access for decades in mm-hmm. our communities. Already, when I need help with an abortion, if I'm in Southeast Ohio... I call Women Have Options. Mm -hmm. And for me as a pastor, when I have somebody who is in my region who doesn't have, you know, access, I contact Women Have Options because Women Have Options, that's the network. Mm -hmm. Those are the people right now. Mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood, those are the people, right? Mm -hmm. You call it your choice. Uh, Capital Care in in Toledo. Abortion is legal in Ohio.com, right? Like, you gotta go and check out what the resources are. We don't have to build it. It's already here. If mm-hmm. you needed it, you'd yeah. know that. Right? Yeah. And Whoa. and I think like even on top of that, so there's there's the issue of there being so many, um, so few, I should say, uh, clinics that you can get an abortion at. But then even if there was a clinic like right down the road, because uh, abortion isn't often covered under uh, healthcare, and and on top of that, we don't have a good healthcare system here in the United States, then like it's it's still really expensive. And so obviously we have had these networks um, and there have been people already doing this work and you would know if you like had been paying attention. And, and when people talk about like in Texas, oh, well, you know, if we get into a position where people aren't able to have abortions, you know, all these horrible things could happen like in The Handmaid's Tale. I, I want to I want to like grab their ears and be like, do you not know your history? Like, mm-hmm. this has already happened across the world. We were talking earlier today, and I, I said I was going to save this for the podcast mm-hmm. because Ke- Kelly mentioned that um, you weren't familiar with Romania, and mm-hmm. not many people are. Like, when I say Romania and Ceausescu, most people are going, oh, what in the world is this? But, like, seriously, <laughs> seriously, Nicolae Ceausescu was... A dictator in Romania after World War II, right? Post World War, the the colonialist powers cut up all of that region of folk who were on the wrong side of the war, and Romania was one of those principalities that chose the wrong side in the war. Ended up in a situation where a dictator was installed, and Ceausescu's main goal in rebuilding Romania was population growth, and over a series of 20 to 30 years, they enacted continually, uh, you know, more and more restrictive abortion bans until you had to produce a certain number of children and be above a certain age before you were even able to be considered possibly for an abortion. There, there were situations where Romanian women who had miscarriages were forced to wait and be examined by a doctor before they could have any kind of first aid issue to them oh my God. to make sure that they hadn't intentionally ended their pregnancies. 
and women died because they were waiting on these doctors to certify got, like, that they had right. <laughs> so, and you know, you end up in this situation then with the fall of Romania in you know December nineteen eighty nine, uh, January nineteen ninety. I was very young at the time, but I remember like the big push in Christian churches here was, you know take people to Romania and adopt children out of these orphanages. Well, when you start looking into the orphanage system, in Romania, when women were forced to have these children, they gave them up to the state, and the state literally just put them in cribs and beds and crammed them into these orphanages, <sighs> five and six and ten children high in these these farms, these, these bedded farms. You had children who were horrendously stunted, physically and emotionally and mentally. Mm. Children who, at two years old, were the size of seven-month-olds. Oh, my God. Tons of children in Romania developed AIDS because they had to give them constant blood transfusions because of their malnourishment, Ugh. and they didn't test for AIDS in the blood supply, so they passed AIDS to literally hundreds oh of thousands of these children. God. Just horrendous things that actually happened. These things happened in the lifetime of most of us who are listening to this podcast right now, or shortly before. We don't have to go and take a look at, like, oh, what is the theory behind these policies? Like, the things that are happening in Texas today have already been tried, and they have failed miserably. They have failed whole societies miserably. Mm -hmm. And we need to be really clear about it. It, it is a horrible failure, and it is going to cause tons and tons of heartache mm -hmm. and trauma and violence onto people's bodies. Mm -hmm. One thing that, like, I, you know... Not I don't think about often, but sometimes I've, I've been thinking about lately. It's like you know what is the goal of people who are anti-choice? Like what is the goal of these for, forced birthers to have more children? Then there needs to be support for those children once they're born, and there's not that kind of support. There are lots of people in foster care. There are lots of people who are abused and mistreated in the foster care system, um, and yet i don't i don't see a big push from forced birthers to deal with that um i i think that there are lots of other issues around children if that's the goal but i don't think that is the goal because like you said um these politicians are using uh abortion and their forced birth ideology to continue to get elected so yeah. that they can continue this capitalist system um that keeps people uh down and i was talking to you this i was saying to the, this to you earlier but essentially this is class warfare this is just you know the um the rich and wealthy and powerful continuing to keep those who um you know the have-nots from having the opportunity to have um and to think of it as anything else is to be lying to yourself in my opinion well, be, because wealthy people are always going to be able to have abortions. Wealthy people are always going to be able to fly away to more advanced nations like like Mexico. <laughs> Mexico, Mexico. That just came out today with a, a new decision that actually abortion bans are BS and not constitutional in that nation. So, like, don't worry. Mexico will save us. Mm -hmm. um, the reality is 
wealthy people are always going to be able to fly to another country, go get what they need, likely have a doctor who will perform the procedure that they want in safety in mm -hmm. their own home or in a doctor's office because mm -hmm. wealthy people have the ability to ply the system, to bend the rules. And for folk who don't have that ability, it becomes more and more difficult. We think about the, the origin of our own organization. You know, as as a faith and reproductive health rights and justice organization, we draw our root back to the clergy consultative service. The clergy consultation service on abortion were clergy members who literally found ways in a network to help people find abortion care when it was illegal in many places and illegal in most states. And they either helped people find transportation if they were wealthy enough to get to like bastions of reproductive freedom before Roe, like New York State, or they helped them find access in their community in places that may not have been safe, but were safer than other options. Mm -hmm. And today we're, we're sitting here looking at limited options, but we're in the same boat that we are going to continue to help make sure everybody who wants an abortion can get an abortion mm -hmm. whether it is legal in their community or not we're going to make sure that we are connecting them with as many resources as we can so that they can make the decisions that are best for their life because that's our moral compass and mm -hmm. our moral conviction that's where we are pointed as people of faith and people of religious faith yeah and I like, I I, th I think back to um, you know my I, I used to be a pastor for those of you who may not know. I think about how you know the gospel has to be freely given and freely received, you know, and mm -hmm. I I think in the same way like even even if uh, a person was to believe that a child is a gift to every single person, that gift should be freely received. And if you don't want, if, if anybody gives you any kind of gift, you should not have to take it if you don't want it. It's all about consent. And that is even true of the gospel. And no matter how good you think it is, you cannot force someone to take it. And that takes away whatever goodness you think it is. And um, I just think that, that that consent is really important. And that, at least for me, is is part of the... The ways that my faith aligns me to being pro-choice and pro-abortion totally you know and again as as a christian pastor um i i love all of our new merchandise on bonfire <laughs> yes. shameless plug fyi the concept of consent is so important and the idea that you receive that gift by choice we have this fantastic design that has, you know, the Virgin Mary. It says, Mary had a baby by choice. And it references Luke 1.38, which is that portion of scripture where we see that even Mary, Mary who in the Christian tradition we believe bore God's own child into the world, bore Jesus into the world, Mary gets to say yes mm -hmm. to that gift. And if God's mama can say yes or no to that gift, every mama ought to be able to make that decision mm -hmm. of whether they want to be a mama or not mm -hmm. in that moment. 
So every pregnancy ought to come with that choice mm-hmm. because choice is sacred. Choice is holy. Mm-hmm. No matter what some politician in Texas or Ohio or any other state wants mm-hmm. to tell you. Well, we are about out of time. So last things I want to say, support uh, black women and femmes and uh, people of color who are out there doing the hard work, especially in Texas. Um, I know that there has been a link going around to support all of the abortion funds in Texas. Um, and I will put that in the description as well as all of the other stuff that we've talked about today. Um, and just, yeah, it, these are rough times. Amen. And just a quick plug for two of our repro and faith partners down in Texas. Just Texas, Faith Voices for Justice, is an organization much like Ohio RCRC that does a lot of similar work to what we do. They're operating in Texas. And also the New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice, great organization, one of our our partner affiliates. And they do tremendous work. They are doing a lot of work helping individuals who are in Texas who want to either come to New Mexico for care or who need help seeking resources. So just big reminder, we'll put those uh, links down in the show notes, Just Texas and New Mexico Religious Coalition for Reproductive Choice. Awesome. Well, uh, we will be back in two weeks.